0: Hello, hello, and welcome to Soccer Made in Portland on OregonLive.com and Stumptown Footy. My name is Chris Reifer, and joining me as always, the Timbers and Thorns beat writer for the Oregonian and OregonLive.com, Jamie B. Goldberg. Jamie B. What's up?
1: Um, I, I feel like I'm recording in like a sauna right now or something. Um, I just checked my thermostat, and it's, I, I think, still 93 degrees in my house, Um, so I, I made my way up from the basement where I've been hiding out, uh, doing work for, um, the last few hours just to record this podcast. Um, so, uh, I'm excited to talk about soccer. I am mostly excited for what we have coming up, uh, with our guest of honor for the night.
0: Yes. Guest of honor. That sounds very exciting and it is exciting for a good reason. Uh, but yeah, that, that conversation it turns out took place in a nice air conditioned Mm -hmm. room. So uh nobody had any health problems during the course of that uh the, 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 this is going to be a little bit more touch and go over the course of the next uh you know, you know period of time that we are recording this i fully anticipate i'm going to lose somewhere between 8 and 14 pounds uh <laughs> over the course of recording this that's because it's really really steamy outside yeah i i'm in basically the same place uh you are i i have no sort of air con- central air conditioning uh so um so yeah I, like my windows and doors are open uh, turned off the fans for for you guys, but if you know if there's extra noise, that's how it goes. Uh, because I don't, I want to live through this podcast. <laughs> uh, that is important to me, uh, and, and mostly I want to live to at least get to the other side of this next conversation that you alluded to. Uh, and we've been like really, you know, drawing out the reveal here. Caleb uh, Porter is here, uh, n- not like right now, a while ago, several hours ago, but we talked to him today, nonetheless. Uh, had a really good conversation with him, and so we don't want to make uh, that. You know, let's not draw that out anymore. Uh, here is our conversation with Caleb Porter uh, after, the, the, after the press conference today. Go ahead, enjoy it, uh, and we will see you just on the other side. Welcome back to the show. Uh, Caleb Porter, coach of the Portland Timbers, uh, as I think everybody who listens to this podcast knows well. Uh, Caleb, last time we had you on, you were uh, sitting in, in dead stop traffic uh, in, in a snowstorm. Uh, I think it took you something like six, seven hours to get home that day uh sort of extreme weather for portland today it's like 107 degrees so 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 we're having you back just because we got to sort of celebrate the polls by having you on on the show thanks for coming
2: back thanks for having me back i always like to do your show at least once a once a year um like you said completely different circumstance it's good to be live with you guys (laughs) yeah today that's a first uh versus on the freeway and it's true it took me six hours um Took me about forty-five minutes to get from the training field facility today. So Not I bad. learned people in Portland, they have a, tar- a hard time driving when it's snow, or when it's hot, or when it's rain.
0: <laughs> wait, 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 which I like. What you covered there is basically like three hundred days a year. So, so those sixty-five days where we got like seventy-five and sunny, we're we're good though. Um, well, let's start off with the the thing that's on everybody's mind right now. That's on the the, the tip of everybody's tongues around MLS, and that's video assistant referee. It's coming in uh, next week, the, the, this next week in the game against LA Galaxy. We're going to see it for the first time sort of in action in a game that counts. Uh, we, we now sort of have a fuller picture of what the protocol is going to be, what, what the, the things that are reviewable, goals, red cards, mistaken identity, uh, penalty kicks, um, and also how it's going to happen, kind of a hybrid system between having the replay in the booth and then also the referee on the field looking at it. Uh, just sort of in, in, in getting into the, the details of how this is this has come out, what do you think? I mean, is there something about it that you, that you think they got exactly right, or is there something about it that, that you think uh, maybe they, they should be looking at to see if it needs to change in the future?
2: When they started talking about this last year, uh, I was extremely skeptical, and I think a lot of the coaches felt the same uh, because of the obvious um, reasons that, you know it's going to impact the game and chop the game and slow the game and that's not what we want. You know, um, but as uh, you know, MLS has come. They've done a great job of, of coming and meeting with all the teams several times and presenting this. And then we obviously were a guinea pig in our in our tournament, uh, which I think helped as well because we were able to, to see firsthand. Um, unfortunately, on the, on the wrong end of it. Um, but we were able to see firsthand kind of a little bit of a dry run of how it was going to work. The more that we've had time to learn about how they're going to do it and wrap our heads around it, the more I'm completely on board. Uh, and I think most of the coaches are um, because, in theory, if they can get it right, and, and obviously that's a big if. You know, Obviously it's going to take some time, and I, and I think we understand that. If they can get it right, then the accuracy of decisions, which is ultimately what we want, even if we are on the wrong end of it, uh, I would like equality in the decisions, key decisions. um, And that's what they're looking to do. So I I like the philosophy behind it. I like the idea of it. Um, It'll be interesting to see how it's executed. um, But I think I have faith that they've been working on it and that they will... Uh, do it right.
0: Merritt obviously was involved in, uh, on sort of the league level of, of getting this uh, put in place and, and getting the standards developed. Were you in his ear at all in that process? Saying, "Hey, you know, the, let's do this, let's do that," or uh, was that him and the in the folks at the league office?
2: Yeah, no, I wasn't uh, in his ear on it. Um, but I think it it was something that uh, you know started with the ownership groups again for the reason. Uh, the obvious reason of missed calls you know uh, the accuracy of calls you know there's there's been a big concern uh, with that um, I also think it's difficult for these officials because uh, when you look at the size of a field and you look at the amount of officials uh, that have to cover that size of uh, field it's difficult you know there are going to be situations especially more and more with with as fast as this game continues to to move and and it gets faster and faster. The athlete gets better and better. Um, You know, to to think that an official is going to run as fast as Darlington Nagby when he's out on a 40-yard break, break, you know, it's difficult. So there's going to be some what I would call blind spots that sometimes happen. And uh, I think those are the situations uh, where the officials need help they need that review, and as uh, attacking players too get more and more clever in deceiving, um, because that's ultimately, you know, obviously when you have people that are playing for keeps and playing for money, they're going to figure out a way. See, oh, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. <laughs> it happens, you know, and and uh, I don't like that side of it at all, um, but it's going to happen.
0: You see that, of course, as a former man.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly, So, um, but uh, I think it's going to be a good thing. I think there'll be some kinks to, to iron out.
1: Looking at kind of a different subject that I think has come up a little bit um, in the last few weeks with some players uh, like Jeremy Bovisi getting minutes, uh, Victor Arboleda in the last game, um, you've had a number of young players, including those guys, including uh, Marco Farfan, including uh, Jack Barnby, Uh and uh, obviously Renico Clark on the roster too. Each of those players has seen a little bit of a different distribution of minutes between T2 and the first team. How do you go about making those decisions and how do you go about uh, figuring out how to best develop those play- players while also serving the immediate needs of the first team?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's always a balance. Um, I remind people that uh, prior to coming here, I was in youth development. Uh, I developed players more players than anybody in my seven years at Akron for the next level. You know, and I also worked with the youth national teams. And prior to that, I coached, um, you know, academy teams and, uh, you know, ran camps. You know, I'm, I'm a grassroots guy that, that uh, has coached from the ground up and at every level. So I remind people of that because um, my passion initially was youth development. And I believe strongly in uh, developing players. And um, it's something I really take pride in. It's something I'm passionate about. Um, So sometimes I get a little defensive because, you know, the narrative uh, has been at times that uh, we don't play the kids. And I think sometimes that's unfair. Um, You know, I realize that there haven't been as many young players as we would like and maybe people like that have come up through. But it's not because we don't want to play the kids. It's not because uh, we're not passionate about it and we don't believe in it. It's just a part of evolving, you know, and, and giving it time. Um, the exciting thing is we've played more kids this year than ever. You know, uh, and the other thing is I think you got to remember some of these guys like Alice Powell, you know, who's 18 years old. But this year alone we've, we've given first-team minutes um, – to a 17-year-old, an 18-year-old, a 19-year-old, a 21-year-old. And we've had a lot more young players here that have played. Some of them are internationals that we haven't been really given credit for. Um, So I say that first because I want people to realize that uh, I started in youth development. I believe in it, and I will always believe in it, and we want young players to come through here. Um, But with that, we have to have young players that are good enough to come through. Um, I want to play the kids, but we have to have kids to play. And uh, they have to be good enough, and you can't just jump them over guys that uh, are DP players. Um, But if we want these guys to come through, we do have to give them time and minutes. And that's why we have T2. You're going to develop players much more uh, over the long haul by getting them Uh, 90 minutes with T2 uh, versus getting them 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Players don't develop playing 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Um, They get integrated um, and confident uh, and connected um, by playing 10, 15 minutes, but they don't develop. You don't develop by playing 7 minutes. You develop in training, um, which is the other thing that people don't see and it kind of goes unnoticed. I cannot... Um, Imagine that there's another MLS team that has more T2 players in in our trainings, first-team trainings on a daily basis, academy players in our first-team trainings and in T2 trainings on a daily basis. Um, I know there are a lot of clubs out there that do that. I can't imagine there's a club that has more young players uh, in with first-team players every single day. And those players are being developed in training, and people aren't seeing that. And that's why when you see a Jeremy go in and play, it doesn't happen by accident. It happens because he's been playing with T2, and he's been training with the first team every single day. And we've been managing him. We've been, uh, you know, myself and the staff have been doing extra work with him, functional training with him. And, uh, you know, when a guy like that goes in and plays, I think it needs to be more about, wow, You know, they've got him ready and they've got him plugged in and they've crafted a plan to help him do well versus why the heck hasn't he been playing. Because the reality is he hasn't been playing because Fernando Adi is a DP striker and he's going to play. But we recognize that we have to get these guys minutes. Uh, But I'm glad that we finally have guys that are good enough. We will continue to develop these guys in training. We'll continue at times to put them in T2 games to get full 90 minutes. Uh, where hopefully in those games they feel like the man because that's important. Um, you can't throw guys in and let them drown every time. You know, they need to feel confident. They need the bad goals. They need to feel like they're kind of bossing guys a little bit. There, there's a fine line with that. They need to develop confidence. And then they need to be thrown in the deep end sometimes. Uh, Marco's a good example. Had a good run and he threw in the deep end. He struggled. You know, we kind of bailed him out and. He'll be back in. Unfortunately, he got injured right before the game. He was gonna go back in and start. Um, we did that same thing with Alice Powell, you know, if you guys remember. And he was 18 years old, and he played. Then he was out, and he was loaned out. Then he played again. And next thing you know, over time, he was starting every game, and he, he's he's done pretty well for us.
0: I mean, especially on sort of following up, just on T2 itself. Obviously, the results have been have not been there for T2 this year, but results are also secondary to everything you guys are doing with, with that program i mean it, how do you sort of assess the job that t2 is doing and it's you know a couple or three years now in in, in getting guys where you want to get them and in, in getting them 90 quality minutes uh and and getting them the, the quality of soccer that you want to get them
2: yeah i mean obviously with the with the developmental team like t2 is academy teams are um you know the development of the the players for the first team that's that's the priority um, and the results are secondary. Results still are important. You know, when you're trying to build a mentality in players, um, they need to understand that at the first team level, results matter. And uh, you have to have that mentality that the results um, matter. But I think sometimes when you put a team out, for development purposes, the results get lost a little bit, and I think that's happened at times uh, this year. I also think that because we signed some of the top players up uh, from that team and because we've been injured, uh, there's been a trickle down a little bit where uh, normally they would have had Bobacy and Victor and you know guys like Renico, even a Barnby, um, came in and came out. That hasn't happened because we've been injured and we've needed all those guys with us. And, um, you know, I think that's that's hurt the results somewhat. I also think because, like I said, we signed some of these guys. Uh, we knew this would be a year where, you know, ultimately there would be a hole in a few spots. Um, but then obviously we'll make some new signings. Because you can't, when you know you have a Victor and a Jeremy who are going to play, you can't sign a, another young guy because now you're going to block that player. Uh, but now as Jeremy moves in, maybe in the two spot, Victor maybe in the three spot, then now you can sign new guys in knowing that they're going to get now the lion's share of the minutes down there. So there's definitely a, a method to the madness of what we're trying to do. Um, you know. And the results obviously haven't been, have been, been great, but... Uh, when I look again at a Bo- uh, Boba C and what he's done, a Victor, you know, it's a big reason they've done that well. Is they've been able to get those minutes, gain that confidence, um, maintain that fitness, and um, we work really well with that team. And like I said, what you guys don't see a lot is the training. And you know, when you look at a game, a game is ninety minutes. to training over the course of a week, it's five, six days, and that's an hour, hour fifteen, hour thirty a day. Uh, they're getting the majority of their development uh, behind the scenes and uh, it's very methodical i'd say with regards to okay these guys are going with t2 and train these guys are coming up with us you know let's start to you know create a, a little bit of a competition or a pecking order from our bottom end to their top end um, so you know i think it's working uh, and that's why we've had more young players play this year than ever in you know, when you look at a guy like Harold Hansen going in the game, he's 17 years old and he, he did all right. You know, it was a short amount of time. And best part is, I told him he was going in at winger and he looked at me and he goes, he goes, Right on, coach. <laughs> and so it was, that was pretty funny. But, you know, he went in there and did well, ran around. And um, what I like about the fact that we've been injured is we've been able to throw some of these guys in.
0: So uh, sort, of, sort of moving to uh, another topic that's been a, a topic of a frequent conversation this year. Over your first four years in Portland, unambiguously, one of the biggest strengths of your team is that they were consistently excellent in late games. Uh, from the 75th to 90th minute, uh, you guys have 64 goals for, 39 goals against coming into this year. 25 uh, plus 25 goal difference, which in, in sort of a zero-sum statistic league-wide, that's outstanding. This year, I mean, that statistic isn't terrible. It's minus two, which isn't catastrophic, but you're a net of negative ten points during, during that time. Essentially, if you cut off games at the 80th minute, you'd have ten more points than you do now.
2: What happened? I mean,
0: what is sort of the... Preaching
2: to the choir. <laughs> Preaching to the choir. What do you think that difference is? Though? Uh, very disappointing. Um, obviously, it's one of the things we talked about, and in, ironically, in, in our meeting today We always kind of do like a third of the year meeting and we're basically at the two-thirds mark and we have a third left. And, you know, we're aware of all those trends. We're aware of the KPIs and, and, uh, you know, there were basically three things that we felt we needed to improve in um, based on the two-thirds and what we've shown. You are who you are and, you know, it's not me saying it. We have data and analytics to back up those things which is why we always you know analyze everything because it's important to to analyze those things and to be aware of those things and i know um how important it is to be able to close out games which is why i've always prided my teams on being mentally very strong starting and ending games um and, and getting the first goal and, and those things and and so, you know, number one thing is we have to be better defensively overall. Part of that's personnel, lack of chemistry. But we've given up far far too many goals, the balance of our team. That's a team thing. It's not just a back four thing. It's a team thing. Um, it's been a, a bit interesting, though, because when I look at the overall in recent games, when you look at how many shots we've given up and you say, if you look at our shape and From a coaching standpoint, a lot of games, I'm going, how do we give up that goal? And it seems like we've been on the wrong end. of some moments where uh, it's been unlucky, and I I, I hate to and hesitate to always say luck, but there is some luck involved, and I think it will turn if we continue to defend like we've defended. But we have to defend better. We've given up too many goals. We've scored plenty of goals. So if we can tighten up defensively, a big part of that is the back four getting that chemistry and getting the top guys in. Um, I think we've defended better than ever from the front. I think our wingers are chipping in. Our holding mids, the balance there is better than ever. So, again, I'm not concerned from a structural standpoint. Um, But when you look at how we've given up goals, it's been pretty much the same type of goal. And that's from crosses, run-of-play crosses, and dead ball crosses. So those situations in particular – and when we looked at the last ten minutes and where we gave up those goals, and I think it was I think it was seven goals we actually gave up in the last ten minutes. Um, it was crosses and set pieces. So we talked about that today, and uh, they're well aware of that. And it's something that we have to we have to defend better. We have to close out games better, and specifically, we have to defend better from crossing situations and dead ball situations. Um, that's something we're aware of and something we want to correct it's something we need to correct uh if we're going to be the team uh that we want to be where we're not just getting in but we're winning knockout games winning multi-leg you know games you got to close out games you can't be you know those goals late we should be top of the league uh in in the position we've been in late in games and and that's disappointing um i don't look at look at our team and say yeah we're fourth and We're happy. I look at where we should be based on making a few more plays. And the last game is a good example. Um, You know, obviously Seattle is a good example. Colorado is a good example. Dallas on the road is a good example. Um, So can we not foul as much, okay, which gives teams a chance? Uh, Can we not drop as deep at times late in the game, which invites a cross deep? If there is a cross, can we get the lineup better? Can we attack the ball better? Can we get some help from our goalkeeper? Those are all things that I think we can do better.
1: Looking ahead to the game this weekend, um, Shiggy, Siggy Schmidt obviously was on, uh, had his first game as the coach of LA last week against Seattle. He'll be on the bench again this weekend here in Portland. How do you think that changes the galaxy, and how do you expect Siggy to put his mark on that team?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's tough, obviously, when a coach gets uh, fired midseason. I mean, these are colleagues of ours, and, you know, you you empathize uh, for Kurt. Um, But that's not my club, you know, and they made that decision, and uh, the results weren't there. So, you know, you can understand why it happened. I think they made the perfect decision because when you're hiring a guy mid-season you need an experienced coach that's used to stopping the bleeding and and can steady a ship Um, young coaches it's kind of like the Sam Allardyce right he's the guy that's hired always to stop the team from being relegated you know so uh, it's a smart decision because of Siggy's experience and you know the analogy I use is when the ship's gone off course slowly you gotta recorrect it slowly you can't just you know a young coach would yank the wheel and turn it all around it needs to be slow and steady corrections and you know he'll build on the defending and which he has and you'll get that tightened up and they will slowly balance the team and release the attack and you know i think it'll be little corrections i think he'll calm the locker room and i think he'll steady the ship hopefully it's after our game
0: oh <laughs> uh, the guy that even over the course of a difficult Period for you guys uh, has undeniably broken out. Is Sebastian Blanco? I think what four goals, three assists now in the last eight in his last eight appearances, um, and that's not something we saw from him early in the season. Definitely a bit of, uh, of a slow start uh, from him over the course of the first couple of months. What do you think has caused that that turnaround? It's been pretty dramatic. So so clearly it's been kind of a light switch coming on. Uh,
2: what do you think it has, has flipped it for him? I think it's two things the first thing is just the natural um settling that happens with players they get more comfortable um with the players around them they get more comfortable with what the coach the coach expects of them I think there are times where because he's such an honest guy you know he was he was being too honest <laughs> if that makes sense you know in the winger position balance is important but you you have to pick your moments to be free and um, so I, I think you know at times his honesty defensively had hurt his attack. Um, now he's doing both. He's still defending, which we need out of him, but also, you know, he's he's getting forward. So he's found that balance. Um, and I think that's from just the understanding of what we want. I think it's also learning the league and you know the confidence that he's gained. Every player, no matter what level, they need to. Any time to gain confidence and to get comfortable and, and to just go and play and not think about everything being new, uh, especially with attacking players. So I think that's probably the biggest thing. Um, but I think the other thing is you, you can't overlook the fact that he's just scored more goals from, from the left. Um, and, uh, it's the same thing I, I say about Darlington Nagby. Um, Darlington will score more goals from the left because he'll be in a a shooting position on his right foot a lot more. Um, And so I think that's a big, big reason. You know, when you look at the goals he scored, he scored uh, his first goal at the 10, and I think he scored all his other goals from the left wing.
1: Um, Other than the expected acquisition of Larry's Mabiala and and a smaller move bringing in uh, Bill Toloma, you, you guys have been relatively quiet during the transfer window uh, that ends next week. Do you expect that to remain the case, or do you think there is some possible movement uh, for you guys still out there?
2: I think it's more a question for Gavin, because he manages the cap, and um, in my discussions with Gavin, uh, there's no cap space. Um, so that's why we haven't had any movement. You know, we obviously, uh, we had... You know, budgeted to, to add a central defender, uh, took us longer than we wanted, but I think we got the right guy. Um, pretty confident in that, in the way that he's played already. He's, he's built for MLS. Larry's is going to be a really good add and a great pairing uh, with Riggie. Brings athleticism, strength, pretty good on the ball. You know, but he's a hammer. You know, so we knew we needed that. Um, we felt our team, you know, was was pretty well set, um, and. There's no cap, so that's the only reason there's been more, uh, no movement. If we're able to free up cap, then we would make a move, and there's perhaps some options on that in terms of players that we could move, maybe open up space and then add a piece in a position where maybe we think we can improve. Whether that happens will depend on whether or not you know we can move a piece, but we do we do feel like we have a. Good enough team when we're healthy, and, our, and that our depth is good enough when we're healthy, um, you know, to to stand pat and to be where we want to be with the team that we have. Um, there's one position in particular that I, I would personally like to upgrade. Uh, I won't comment on what position that is uh, for obvious reasons, but uh, everywhere else when we're healthy, I think we're we're uh, good enough, talented enough. The problem is we haven't been healthy, so I think that's been compounded a little bit because when we're playing the third fourth guy then you're not talented enough and so I think then that exposes a little bit you know or at least gets the conversation going where we need to add pieces Uh, once we get healthy I think you know we'll be where we have to start the year I think that's the only difference in some of the results uh you know after the start of the year was we were injured we lost guys Caleb, thank you so
0: much. As always, we appreciate you joining uh, the podcast. As you noted, live this time, uh, we'll let you get back out, hopefully, into an air-conditioned office for the rest of the day. Uh, Yeah, thanks for stopping by.
2: Thank you. Thanks, guys. It's good to talk to you in person. Nobody can see it yet, but uh, both of you look really nice, (laughs) really professional. Chris is in a tie, <laughs> a bit like me. I'm looking unprofessional.
0: <laughs> no, I,
2: I think shorts and the polo are,
0: are what everybody would want to be be wearing uh, today. So, again, thanks very much, and we'll catch up again soon. Thanks for having me on. Once again, a big thanks to Caleb for coming back on the show. Uh, I, you know, I was thinking about uh, the sort of timing and the relative weather events going on I, I, at, the, uh, at the time we interviewed him I, as I was going to, uh, to the stadium to talk to him. And, yeah, that's kind of crazy the, the last time we talked to him was, like, one of the coldest, weirdest, random, like, snow days. And then today is, um, you know, we're literally, like, in, I mean, you know, figurative hell uh, here <laughs> in, in, in Portland. Uh, so, yeah, what did you think of the interview? Did anything in particular strike you?
1: Yeah, I, I think um, it's always good to get Caleb Porter in this kind of setting. I, I think he was really honest in, in his answers and, and evaluating some of the um Questions We asked him, it's interesting to hear him talk a little bit about youth development. That's obviously something he's very passionate about and, and to talk about, you know, how you balance um, developing players uh, by giving them first team minutes, but also recognizing that 10 minutes um, off the bench is, isn't what's going to necessarily develop a player and that they, those players need to be a T2. I, I think that's something when you look back, even with Jake Leeson a, a few years ago, he was considered um by Porter's standards, to be the number two keeper, but was often spending time with T2 or on loan because they felt that was the best way to develop him rather than have him sit on the bench at an MLS game. Um, So that's just an interesting tidbit to get from him thinking about how we're going to see some of these players that seem to be pretty close um, still being down a little bit at T2 and and seeing how that impacts their development over time. So I I think that's a subject he's clearly passionate about. So it's just interesting to hear his perspective on it.
0: You know the the answer that that I found most entertaining, if nothing else, was his his answer on the tra- about the transfer window, right? Mm-hmm. Because it started out as like no, it started out as, <laughs> as a hard we are done, there is no space, we're not doing anything, and then sort of as he went along, I was like well maybe. <laughs> so uh, stay tuned, uh, every ladies and gentlemen, cats and kittens, uh, could be an, an interesting end of the transfer window. Um, I, I mean, it certainly sounded on the more like no side of maybe but on the like maybe maybe side of no (laughs) um if that makes any sense which spoiler alert it does not uh yeah but uh, but you're right about the about the stuff about youth development obviously that's something we've been talking a lot about uh not only over the course of the season but especially over the course of the last couple weeks now that we're, we're starting to see uh jeremy abobasi a bit more now that we're starting to see uh, Victor Arboleda a bit more. And one thing he sort of, I think just kind of slipped in there was kind of a reference to Abobase maybe being the number two uh, yeah. I, 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 at striker. Uh, that was kind of an aside, but it was one that certainly caught my ear. Uh, and, and and that's interesting. I don't know if that was sort of aspirational or in the future, uh, or if that was sort of a, a, a wink and a nod at, at what the sort of current status of the depth chart is. But if it is the latter, uh, that's, a, that's pretty significant considering Darren Maddox is still on the roster, uh, is still available uh, once he gets over this little bit of a shoulder injury. Um, th- that is, uh, potentially a bit of news. So that is, uh, up to your interpretation, uh, for folks out there, but nonetheless, uh, I- an interesting bit. Okay. Let's, we've got some soccer to talk about. We don't have a ton of time left to do it. So let's get at it. Uh, Houston Dynamo 2, Portland Timbers 2. Uh, our our predictions for that game were again not great. Uh, you called a two one loss, which was a bit closer than mine. Uh, Fernando goal that didn't happen. Uh, you got the loss wrong. You got the result wrong. You got the side bet wrong. I guess you got the Dynamo scoring too, and sort of the general you know feeling of a close game. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and give you 1.79 points for that. Uh, is that fair? Do you agree with that score?
1: Sure. Uh, okay. I, I was expecting zero, but I'll take the one point. <laughs> so, yeah, well,
0: you know, I mean, <laughs> I guess something like that, you sort of got to take what you can get, right? Uh, and I am going to take nothing because I called a 3-1 loss for the Timbers. Uh, although I did, I did say Victor Arboleda was going to get his first MLS goal, which, like, I, I said that as, like, although, uh, which which sort of in some way suggested that maybe there was some, like, essence of correctness. Uh, no, there, there is no essence of correctness there at all. Uh, that was I, you know, I as I was reading back on it, I just thought that was an interesting side bet, um, <laughs> but interesting does not make for correct, and so I get zero points. Uh, this is I feel like this next question has become a recurring segment on, on our show, so at some point we're going to need to to like name this. But uh, the big question, the ten thousand foot level question from this game is. Are you more encouraged by the performance or more disappointed in dropping the result? Uh, Yeah, we definitely need a name for that. So if somebody wants to name that segment, go for it. But Jamie, you have to answer the question. Now, what do you say?
1: (laughs) This one's hard for me. I I feel like I usually lean more on one side or the other. Um, It's a big point on the road. The Timbers are only the fourth team this season to go to Houston uh, and actually pick up points and to score two goals there. That was, uh, that was very surprising. So, You look at the performance, you look at the result, and and when you just look at that and ultimately what the Timbers are walking away with, that is a good situation. That is honestly the best I was hoping for going into that game. Um, And so I I guess I'm going to lean on that side. Um, I'm more encouraged because the Timbers were dealing with adversity still. They were playing in a very tough place, uh, playing on – uh, short rest and it just didn't seem like this was the game that they were going to get get this done um with, with some of the players and nagby starting playing on short rest um but they did so I'll lean more on that but we're seeing this trend uh of conceding late goals and dropping points uh, Caleb Porter said it today in the interview uh, if the Timbers weren't conceding those late goals and he recognizes it." they'd be first place in the Western conference. And so that's really disappointing to see the same trend happening over and over and over again. Um, which, which is why this decision makes it hard for me uh, because it's Houston, because the point on the road, because they were dealing with players on short rest, coming back from the Gold club, continuing to deal with injuries. I'll take the performance, I guess, but that, that late goal thing is becoming really tiring.
0: The late goal thing is becoming really tiring. And it's, I mean, you know, it's, it's the story of the season right now, right? I, I mean it, it is it is what Road form was to 2016. It is to 2017 right now. Uh, and so it, it you're you're right. It's hard to get over that. this one this one felt a little bit different to me because to be honest, i I didn't really feel like the Timbers were ever sort of in in, in a spot where they were sort of like hanging on to the game. Uh, in many ways, like I you know, and, and in thinking back over the game, not only do I, I I think the the draw is in some ways a little bit harsh on the Timbers, um, uh, but like it it didn't feel like they were just just sort of grasping on to that two one lead even like it did to some extent in, in Vancouver. Uh, the Timbers seemed like they were in pretty good control. They, they they weren't bleeding a lot of chances by any means. They weren't really bleeding very good chances. Uh, what the Dynamo had were not great chances uh, over the course of the game and e- even over the course uh, of that last you know fifteen or twenty minutes or so. They the timbers and we'll talk about this in the, in, a, in a minute had some you know I I think unambiguously bad luck uh, indisputably bad luck when it came to a, a handful of calls in the second half that went against them uh, and you know I mean so in, in many ways I, I it, it goes into the trend it goes into the pattern because it's the pattern and and I mean they still needed to defend that set piece and they didn't do it and that's been certainly a, a, another pattern but look I mean it's it's sort of hard to lump it in with some of the others where they where they've been sort of just hanging on I mean it's hard to lump it in with the Seattle game where they played just terribly uh in that second half it's hard to lump it in uh it, with some of the other games in which you've not felt like the Timbers sort of put the game away in many ways I felt like the Timbers did a lot of what they needed to do just to put the game away and and a lot of circumstances and some bad luck probably intervened to, to uh, prevent that from happening. So I think I agree. I lean more on the side of, of being encouraged by the performance. This is uh, the second straight game in which we've seen the Timbers by and large play pretty well. Uh, it, it is uh, a, a, the beginning of a trend of getting guys back. And it, and it certainly appears that they're going to get more back a, a, as we go along over the course of the next couple of weeks. And so I, I guess I, I come away from the game more encouraged than, than I did. But, I mean, at the same time, you look at the standings, and it's starting to look pretty nervous, right? I mean, it's starting to look like it's not a great situation for this Timbers team uh, that is by points per game just keeping its nose above water uh, in sixth uh, in, in the Western Conference with, you know, I mean, one more dropped result like that, and they very well could be underwater uh and so that is certainly getting to the point where you sort of have to stop taking these moral victories out out of these games but i mean as i look at that one you know i mean goodness can't this team get a break (laughs) and it really seemed like the that's i mean they were only a series of bad breaks away uh from coming away with the full three points and what would have been without question the best three points of, of of the season uh for the timbers and so you know, I, I, I fall more on the former side than the latter. Uh, one thing we did see that was something that we've been talking about for a few weeks could be a possibility. Uh, it came to fruition, but we saw Darlington Nagby on the right side of midfield with Sebastian Blanco uh, on the left. Uh, how did you think that looked? I mean, I, I think the answer sort of speaks for itself. Nagby had an assist, Blanco had a goal. Those were both good things. Uh, and do you think this is going to be sort of the primary set going forward?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think it was effective. Um, I think there's no reason to move Blanco away from the left wing at this point, seeing how much he's producing. Yes, and Caleb Porter reiterated it today. He believes Nagby produces more from the left wing. But if you compare those two players, I, I mean, Nagby was playing on the left wing earlier this season, and while he has a few goals, he, he wasn't producing anywhere at the rate that Sebastian Blanco is right now. And, and so you can't move him away from the left wing um, with the way he's abil- he's able to come provide with on that side and then come inside and, and create chances, um, create some of those, uh, give and go situations, um, how he scored in the last two games. Um, it, this is an effective formation. And I think you bring Nagby back into the fold on the right. And Nagby's a player that's gonna be good for the Timbers pretty much no matter where he plays on the field. Um, he might not, as Caleb Porter said, provide as many goals and assists from that right side. Um, or at least goals, but like you said, yeah, he, he's involved in, uh, the attack and ultimately if Blanco's providing the amount of goals and assists he's providing right now, and you have Fernando Adi, hopefully, uh, starting to turn things on at some point, getting out of maybe a little slump he's in and Diego Valeri continuing to do what he's doing. Nagby doesn't need to provide all the goals and assists. He, he needs to do what he does best, um, and, and contributing that way to the attack. So I thought it was very effective, I don't expect to see the Timbers switch this, especially with how Blanco's performing right now. And I think this is a very dangerous front four. Um, this is slightly different than the formation we had at the beginning of the season, but I, I think this is more dangerous than what we were seeing even in the beginning of the year um, if they can continue to produce. And, and Valeria and Blanco could continue to play as they've been playing.
0: You know, I broadly agree, so I think we're on, what I'm going to do instead is just nitpick your answer um, because I just feel like being, you know... <laughs> kind of annoying. Uh, but so, I, you know, I, I, I definitely agree it was effective. You know, I'm not sure when, when, uh, when, when folks say Nagby is good, where I, and you hear a lot of people saying this, where, wherever you put him, he is good. I'm not sure I entirely agree. And I actually think there have been times at this right midfield, right wing position where he hasn't been that good. Uh, I think there have been a lot of times when he's faded too deep, uh, sort of dropped into midfield too deep as as he tries to receive the ball, uh, largely facing away from goal. Uh, I, I think there have been times where he actually fades too wide and sort of follows his right foot uh, to a wider position and and ends up not being nearly as effective in the buildup as he ordinarily is. Uh, and 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 I think there are certainly times when when he's played this spot, where he's, as a result of those things, kind of faded out of games more from this spot than, than you see in, in probably any other place uh, that he has played for the Timbers. That said, that definitely didn't happen on, uh, on Saturday, and that's a really encouraging thing. Uh, you know, when you sort of looked at the, at, at the past maps, when you looked at the distribution, distribution maps, Nagby was very, very involved in, in the final third and in getting into the final third, crucially, uh, he was playing basically about as high as Diego Valeri on the day, which is exactly where you want him. He was playing uh, sort of on the inside part, uh, by and large part, uh, of the right channel, which is exactly where you want him. Uh, and, and the result was that it essentially created kind of a triangle, kind of a, 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 a clump uh, between Valeri, Nagmi, and Fernando Adi. And, and that is going to be sort of a collection of players that are really, really going to wreak havoc on defenses. Uh, as they go through uh, sort of the course of a game, the only way defenses are going to be able to handle sort of that combination of technicality, uh, physicality, uh, that, that, that the three of those players bring is just by throwing numbers at them. And that's the kind of thing that can really open up spaces for, for a guy like Sebastian Blanco to play in. Because he's not going to get, uh, you know and, and Porter alluded to this today, He's not going to sort of sort of get t- tucked into that same thing all the time. He is going to play wide even when he's on the left, coming in on his right foot. He's going to have a starting point that is a bit wider on the left, and then that becomes essentially the Timber's counterpunch. Uh, and so whether that that Adi Valeri Nagby triangle is sort of the the you know the, the the real tip of the spear or whether it's kind of a decoy, it can be very very effective in, in, in either sort of in either role there. Uh, and then you have one of the hottest attackers in MLS uh, as the guy that's going to punish teams when when they they collapse defensively when they get uh too compact defensively and then he's going to find the spaces that are going to be that are going to be vacated by the defensive midfield he's going to even, even buy the right backs if they're really trying to stay tucked in uh and and, and keep their eyes uh on on Nagby Valeri, and Adi. so that I think is a very encouraging sign that, that Nagby was really able to be sort of on the front foot, part of that sort of collection collective, and collective and, and part of that triangle that I, I think has the potential to really, really hurt uh, Timbers' opponents' defenses down the road. Uh, as I alluded to, I, the Timbers had some bad luck with calls. I, I, I think that's e- easy to say. Uh, the, 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 they had a, a penalty uh, on Sebastian Blanco that was uncalled that I think is, you know, I mean, you know, just a penalty, period. Uh, they had a a poor call uh, on Jeremy Abobasi uh, shortly before uh, the Timbers conceded their second goal. The foul that gave uh, the, that led to the free kick on which Houston scored that second goal by, by Diego Chara just a couple seconds after that uh, was questionable at best. Uh, and then the Timbers had a goal disallowed, a goal scored by Fernando Adi uh, for sort of an interesting passive offside call that I think is is arguable. I, I, I don't think it was, you know, a, a blatantly wrong by any means, but I, I think it was certainly arguable. How much do you think of the dropped result is attributable to that amount of bad luck? I mean, look, those are four pretty big decisions, all of which went against the Timbers, all of which were approximately related to a goal uh, or a non-goal. Uh, I, either for Houston or that the Timbers did not get. How much do you think uh, it is fair to sort of point to those things and say, come on, can't we catch a break?
1: Yeah, I think this was a typical game for the Timbers in terms of calls not going their way. I, I think the Audi one, which I think got the biggest play after the game, um, was of those probably the one I agree with the most. Um, it, it was the one that I, I think was most defensible. Uh, I, I think some people might not have understood exactly what the call was when they initially saw it. Um, but I do think that one you can kind of defend. It's unfortunate that they called it so late afterwards. Um, but when you listen to the referee's reasoning, you can kind of at least make that argument for that call. Uh, the Blanca one, I think, should have been a penalty. And obviously that changes the game. Um, and that's something that maybe you, you look at the implementation of video replay coming this weekend, had it happened a week earlier, the Timbers might've been walking away with three points out of Houston, because I, I don't know if you're going to have, uh they might give the Timbers that penalty. I, I don't think it would have made a difference for the Char call because that wouldn't, that did not lead directly to a goal. So that wouldn't have been something that they would have been able to review. Um But I think that call was questionable as well. And, and I, I think, uh, I agree. um I, I think the Ebo one was probably um above C1 was it was probably the most questionable of them all of the ones you mentioned so yeah uh, there was a lot of bad luck for the Timbers and, and when you look back at those calls you, I I think you have to say that it's just unlucky those didn't go their way there there was you would hope at least a few of those given how questionable they were would, would have fallen the Timbers way and they could have had a genuine outcome change on the game
0: So let's hit the injury report now and shift our focus leading into next week. Uh, We have uh, sort of five major players, I think, on the injury report that are worthwhile of an update. Let's start with Liam Ridgewell, who it sounds like he returned to training this week. What do we know about him and his availability? How soon will that be?
1: Yeah, uh, he's back in training this week. Porter said he's been participating in full training, made it through a hard training session today, which was a really good sign. And later in the week, the Timbers are going to decide whether or not he can play this weekend. Um, I think that's a very good sign because I, assuming that this was his first week back, I I personally was thinking, oh, well, he'll need some time to get back into full fitness and and it might still be a few weeks. But Porter said that he's been working on his fitness and and focusing on getting ready to get back uh, into position where he can get back in a game as he's been doing this rehab. And if he's healthy, he's going to play. So I I think... um, It's he's not for sure going to be there in in against the L.A. game, but Porter definitely made it sound like he could be in there.
0: You know, my guess realistically is that it's probably going to be next week before we see him uh, in the game. It wouldn't surprise me at all if he's on the bench uh, this weekend. But I mean, given the length of the layoff, we almost never see players, you know, when they're out for five or six weeks as he has been. We almost never see players back uh, playing 90 minutes in, in, in sort of the first game immediately coming off that injury. So my guess is, is it'll probably be optimism aside is it still more likely to be next week rather than this week. Uh, But you never know, Uh, you know, you know, I mean, clearly they're keeping their, their, their mind open uh, as to that point. Uh, Vitas, what do we know about him? Yeah.
1: It sounds like he's also back in training and Porter said he expects him. Um, He he was likely to be available for selection this weekend. It it sounded like last week, they just didn't feel like he was close enough. Um, But he was on the cusp even then, um, and now he's back in training. So uh, I think more so than Ridgewell, based on what I heard from Porter, I, I think we'll probably see Vitas in, in the game.
0: Marco Farfan.
1: That one was a little bit more of a, a disappointing answer. It sounds like Farfan is a little bit behind schedule in his recovery from, uh, I guess, it's essentially an ankle sprain. Um, he Porter said he's still not training. He's still out. Uh, the ankle still hurting a little bit. And so it, he didn't give an exact timeline, but it sounds like that one might take a little bit longer. Porter had originally said a couple weeks. It sounds like it's going to take maybe a bit longer than expected.
0: He did not play in the homegrown game. That was yesterday. We we're recording on Wednesday. That was Tuesday, uh, that he was selected for I I don't even, I, I don't remember seeing any pictures of him, uh, even going to Chicago. So he may have even just stayed in Portland over all-star weekend, which is too bad because that would have been a fun all-star weekend. All-Star Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, but but that would have been a sort of a fun, cool experience for him. Which So it's unfortunate uh, if he didn't get that opportunity to at least travel. But uh, also unfortunate that he didn't get to play because that would have been fun. Uh, Diron Espria, what do we know about Espria heading into this weekend?
1: Yeah, um, Porter says he hasn't been in training yet, uh, but he could potentially be uh, on Friday. Um, he classified him at this point as questionable for the game, but... It's never a great sign to see midweek that a player hasn't yet been in training yet.
0: You know, and he is the kind of guy that the, the layoff has been short enough uh, and the position is right uh, as as a winger. That, you know, if he does get into training Friday and it looks good and it looks good again and still feels good again on Saturday, you could definitely see him on the bench maybe being available for 10 or 15 minutes uh, or, or something like that. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, generally, you know, if you're just coming back into training on Friday before a Sunday game, you're cutting it a little bit on the close side. Darren Maddox. Uh,
1: Porter said he was doing better, um, I believe, Um but I, 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 he didn't give us a for-sure indication as to whether he'd be able to play in the game.
0: Yeah, a little bit more ambiguous on that one. It sounds like it was a shoulder injury that he picked up at some point in the Gold Cup experience uh, and that they're giving him some time on. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you know, obviously the Timbers would like to have one of Maddox or Espria available. If not, uh, Victor Arboleda will be sort of the, the, the first winger. Uh, Victor Arboleda and Jack Barnby will be the first wingers off the bench. I think it's fair to say those two are roughly neck and neck. Uh, in, in that competition, maybe with Arboleda taking a little bit of a lead over the course of the last few weeks. Uh, so, you know, I mean, that, that'll be something to watch to be sure uh, if neither Espria nor Maddox are in the team. Uh, Timbers versus LA Galaxy. The time of this game has changed. Uh, if you are going off of an old printed schedule or something like that, uh, it's going to say one o'clock in the afternoon. That is wrong. Don't show up at one o'clock in the afternoon. You will miss the game. Uh, it's now going to be at 11 o'clock in the morning. This is because, of course, as we've seen before, uh, the heat issues, especially with the turf at Providence Park, they wanted to get it in the morning so that it has a little bit less exposure to sunlight leading into the game so that the uh, so that the ambient temperature is also just a little bit uh, lower. Uh, for the Galaxy, the biggest absence is going to be Yellow Van Damme. He's suspended for the game uh, as a result uh, of, I think he got a second yellow, a red card uh, in the game against Seattle uh, last week. So he will not be there. That is a massive, massive loss for the Galaxy when he's been out they have struggled mightily in defense, and and, and so uh, that is a really significant uh, bit for the Galaxy. We, I don't think we know right now whether Jonathan Dos Santos is going to be uh, available to make his debut for the Galaxy, and even if he is, uh, for how long he is coming off an off season. Albeit it was an off season in which uh, he played with Mexico at the Confederations Cup. So I mean, is he going to be available for ninety minutes? I don't. I would guess not. Uh, but is, is he going to be available for some period of time if the Galaxy? are able to get the paperwork sorted, sorted out. We'll see. Uh, the other piece of news for the Galaxy, of course, is that Ziggy Schmidt is now uh, coaching them. Uh, as you heard Caleb Porter talk about uh, a little bit ago, uh, he opened his LA, his second LA Galaxy tenure. That, that is sort of, uh, I think that was his first coaching job, actually, in MLS, was, was with the Galaxy, uh, if I'm remembering my relatively ancient MLS history correct. Um, but in any, in any event, you know, he uh, was hired uh, sort of in the middle of last week, sort of odd timing coming off uh, the long Gold Cup break, hired right before the, the game against Seattle with just a couple days to prepare. And he went and he got a lovely 0-0 draw uh, against the Sounders. That suits the Timbers just fine, both uh, both of those teams dropping points. Uh, but, yeah, so that is how he started against his old team uh, and now comes up to face his old and, like, semi-new rivalry. Although this rivalry with the Galaxy is mostly about like sick internet memes uh more than it is about, you know, actual rivalry. Uh a few questions. Let's start off with Jared. Jared wants to know who do you think is most likely to leave first? Darlington Nagby or Fernando Audi?
1: Um it, it's interesting that uh Merit Paulson tweeted out recently that Audi's contract goes uh, a bit longer than we expected. We thought it was up uh at the end of next year. It sounds like it is up a little bit further down the road. Um, so that changes the dynamic because I, I thought it was very likely that Audi could be gone this offseason simply because it would make most sense for the Timbers to try to transfer him at that point and, and get uh, the most money back uh, from that investment. Um, that said, I, I still think if I was going to pick between one or one of those players, I, I think probably Fernando Audi. I I'd the timbers showed last year that they are willing to at least shop nagby around willing to uh, look at offers if they come up. Um, but, but I think that I I just think that it's more likely we're going to see Audi leave at some point. I I think he still probably has ambitions to play in Europe. Um, ambitions, if he can get to a higher level team and, and help him, uh, also, uh, get maybe more of a look from, uh, Nigeria as well. Um, and I, I think it's a good sign that we're, we're seeing the Timbers starting to, you know, we're seeing Jeremy Ebobisi get a, a little bit more playing time now and showing that, no, he's not there yet, but might be a decent succession planning for Audie, uh in the future. Um, obviously, the Timbers could also go out and get another designated player uh, in that position uh, if Audie moved as well. Um, so, I guess I'm leaning with Audi, but, but it's actually a little bit harder to tell now uh, given that his contract uh, goes through longer than we expected.
0: There's another big factor we learned about today that I think plays into this on the Nagby side and why I'm going uh, to have a slight lean toward Nagby. Uh, we found out today through a tweet from, from Paul Tenorio uh, with 442 initially uh, that it sounds like there was some illusion in Don Garber's press conference at the All Star game today. Uh, that MLS is at least considering or perhaps is raising the the amount of allocation money that a team can get through a transfer of a player overseas. Right now, uh, the cap is a a team can get only up to $650,000 in allocation money from a transfer. That is a a challenge in particular with respect to Darlington Nagby because he doesn't fill a DP spot. If, for example, the Timbers transfer Darlington Nagby Uh, Out, they would have considerably less salary cap space to work with in order to replace him than if they did uh, transfer somebody like Fernando Adi out, uh, who occupies a DP spot, and and of course his transfer would then open up a DP spot that the Timbers could turn around and use in order to replace him. If MLS does that, if MLS raises sort of that 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 sort of limit of of allocation money that that can be earned through a transfer. Uh, of a player overseas, it, it makes it a lot easier for teams to part with these sort of high-performing, uh, high-demand, non-DP players because it, it lets them transfer, you know, it would let them transfer out, uh, you know, say uh, Nagby's a $3 million player, and have something closer to that uh, in order to go out a, and, and replace him. Uh, have something closer to that in salary cap space that a team can then go out and use on a transfer fee or something like that to bring a new player in. Uh, and, and so, you know, because of that, I'm actually going to lean a little bit toward Nagby. I think that was the maybe the biggest sort of salary cap hang up for the Timbers and why they might not want to move Nagby before. And if that barrier is going to go away, I think the, the interest in Nagby is is certainly going to be uh, as high this next offseason as it was last year. Uh, and I think the Timbers will be a lot more inclined to listen to offers. You know, I mean, it was reported last year that, that Celtic offered somewhere in the ballpark of $3 million uh, for Nagby. And frankly, even though that was a number that, I, that that I said at the time, and I think history bears me out, that doesn't make a lot of sense for the Timbers at that point, it's not an unreasonable offer for somebody like Nagby. And and I think if, uh, if things sort of get loosened up as far as the allocation money that you can get for a transfer of them. Look, I mean, somebody comes around and makes a $3 million offer for him next year. Uh, I, I think the Timbers would consider that. Uh, so I'm going to lead toward Nagby uh, on this issue for that reason. Josh wants to know, Blanco, Valeri, Nagby, and Audi. do you still think this is one of the best front fours in MLS?
1: Yeah, I think it can be. Um, we haven't seen all four of those players playing their best soccer at the same time in a while. Um Blanco's finally turning things on. Valeri has been doing really well. I I think last game, you look at Valeri, um, Nagby, Blanco, Audi just isn't contributing the goals right now. And and I think if you can get Audi out of the slump and and get him to start contributing the goals and and you look at already the attacking performance this team had um, in Houston, yeah, I think this team is, uh, has one of the most dangerous front fours in MLS. Uh, You just need to get to a point where you're having all four of those players doing what they do best and contributing how uh, you want them to.
0: Yeah, I think the answer here is clearly yes. I don't know if they're the best front four in MLS. Uh, You know, I mean, we can make arguments about that. And, I mean, sometimes it's even hard to because some teams go with more of a front five uh, and and there are different shapes. But, I mean, if you you talk about a team and they're sort of top four attacking talents, uh, I think there are probably somewhere between 18 and 19 teams in MLS that would that would trade theirs for the Timbers right now. I I, I think that is a very, very potent uh, front four that scored a good number of goals, even though I think for uh, periods of time they they haven't been firing on all cylinders this year, uh, especially uh, as you pointed out with Fernando Adi. So, yeah, I mean, if they can get to the point where they're firing on all cylinders, gosh, I mean, you know, I, I think absolutely they are. And even with not being uh, sort, of, sort of at their peak form, uh, I think they're still definitely, definitely up there. Jeanette wants to know how many games will Liam Ridgewell play this year?
1: I'm going to go with 16. Um, that would be seven uh, more games this year. The Timbers, ha- I believe, have 11 left. Um, I'm not convinced that he's going to be able to play every game. I'm not convinced he's going to come back this weekend necessarily. Um, but even so, uh at least one game is going to be on short rest. Maybe that's a week that Ridgewell doesn't get, but but I'm also not convinced that he's going to stay healthy for the entire time. That he's not going to at least pick up another knock um that'll take him out for a game or two or three. Um because that's just what we've been seeing from Liam Ridgewell over the, the last year and a half. So um 16
0: Okay. I'm going to you know, I'm going to say 18, 19. 19 is my number. Uh, I don't think he's going to play this weekend, but you know what? I'm going to, for absolutely no reason at all, show some faith that he's going to be able to stay healthy from here on out. Uh, And I'm going to say he's going to play in every other game. And so he's going to play 19 games. Uh, He's going to help the Timbers because he is, when he's healthy, uh, still a good player. And that is going to be a net good thing. So I'm, for no reason whatsoever, going to say Ridgewell is going to play uh, every other game, in spite of you know the overwhelming amount of historical evidence that suggests otherwise, uh, Sean wants to know. This is the, the this is, I think, a very easy question. Is a wrap a sandwich? No, Jamie. No, it's a wrap. I, I mean, okay, that's that's <laughs> that's fine. I you, you correctly identified that word. <laughs> um, do you do you have any rationale to, to to support that?
1: I mean, I I just don't think of it as a as a sandwich. I don't feel like I put the same things in a wrap as I put in a sandwich. I don't see myself eating a peanut butter and jelly wrap or anything. I don't know. I, I don't think of a wrap as a sandwich. I think of some as two distinct uh, different types of lunch food.
0: Uh, I mean, it's interesting you bring up peanut butter and jelly because honestly, that is about the only sandwich that I could Im- I, I could imagine like not making into a wrap uh i i mean you know that's
1: my point <laughs> you have to make all the sandwiches into wraps are, are, are you a,
0: are you a big pbj eater
1: yeah i love at it. this
0: at this stage of your life
1: <laughs> peanut butter it might be one of my favorite foods at this stage of my life it's
0: peanut butter jelly time peanut butter jelly also oh. when i
1: haven't go, gone shopping i usually still manage to have peanut butter and jelly somewhere so that's it's fair. I, it's a go-to
0: <laughs> uh, what kind of peanut butter? Are you Are you like a, a legit peanut butter person or are you like, hey, no, give me the whatever the uh, the like Skippy uh, kind of stuff? No,
1: I still buy like Fred Meyer brand, but I try to buy the one that's like only the ingredients are only like peanuts. peanuts. Um, right. I try to buy the healthier version, but I, I don't like go for the most expensive one in the aisle.
0: That's very fair. That's generally where I am. But like once in a while, I'll have the, you know, the Skippy or the Jif. Uh, and it is just, it is so good. (laughs) It is so like sugary and delicious, um, that, that it's a, it's a nice little guilty pleasure. Uh, but the answer here is clearly no. And, and, and here's my rule on this. If the outer layer of, of whatever sandwich thing, uh, you're having is one piece and it, and it, and it reaches both sides. It is not a sandwich. Uh, I think that a, a sandwich should need to have two sort of flat uh, you know, sides that, 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 that in, envelop whatever is on, is on the inside or, or, or that, you know, I, I guess bracket whatever is on the inside. Uh, and if it, is, if it is not, if it's something that like wraps around in some way or another, uh, like a tortilla with the wrap. Um, and, and by the way, you can, you can infer how I feel about the hot dog question. Uh, by, by this, but if it wraps around, it, it is not a sandwich. It is something else, uh, and, and that's that's perfectly fine. Those things are good, too. I enjoy a, a good wrap from time to time. Um, I had a great wrap just this last weekend. I, I dare say my life is better for it, but it's not a sandwich. Uh, thorns. Okay, let's talk about this. Uh, Savannah Jordan, uh, we found out today, has signed with the Thorns, uh, the former University of Florida uh, goal scorer. She is one of the uh, all-time leading goal scorers in, in NCAA history scored just bunches upon bunches upon bunches of goals. She was the second-round draft pick for the Thorns uh, this last year. A lot of people didn't think she would be here at all this year, uh, and that maybe she was essentially a future draft pick for the Thorns to bring in next year, but she is now here. uh, And because uh, she is a Thorn, and every Thorn has to go through this rite of passage, apparently, uh, she is also immediately on the injured list. She's on the 45-day DL, it sounds like, retroactively to a couple of weeks ago because she might be eligible to come off it by the end of the month. What do we know about that in particular?
1: Yeah. So Mark Parsons essentially said that she's been signed for a couple weeks and, and immediately put on the DL. It just wasn't announced for whatever reason I- until this week. Um, so that's why it's kind of retroactively, uh, that she's been on the 45 day disabled list. She just hasn't been officially announced on the team for whatever reason. Um, She picked up the injury while she was playing in Glasgow. She ended up leaving Glasgow. She had been rehabbing on her own, um, I believe, in Florida, and at some point joined the Thorns, but was immediately put on the DL. Um, And so Parsons said he believes she'll come off at the end of August, and he expects her at the point she comes off. He expects her to potentially be healthy even a little bit before she comes off um, based on how she's kind of progressing uh, and so he's hopeful that when she's healthy, she'll, when she gets off that DL, um, she will be ready to play and we could see her in games, uh, in early September. And now the one caveat to all of this is because she's on the DL that puts the thorns at a spot for now where they do have the maximum number of players, 20. Um, but when she comes off, uh, obviously it would be the same if Meg Morris or Tobin Heath were to come off. I, I think they're, they are still a little bit more long-term there. Um, the Thorns would have to make a roster move. She coming off would put them at twenty one, and so they would have to um, waive someone else unless there was another injury or something else going on um, on that end.
0: So, in in other sort of sort of return or not return news, uh Dagny is back with the team after Iceland was eliminated from uh, the Euros. Not in a team though, uh, and 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 uh, her Denmark team. Kind of, I think it's is probably fair to say uh is uh, is sort of the Cinderella story uh, of uh, of the euros they have made the, the semifinal uh, and so she is not back. Uh, Amandine Henri is going to be back this week uh, as France as well uh, has been eliminated. Uh, so that is that is sort of the update uh, from the availability the thorns of course uh, take on the dash that is Saturday also at 11 o'clock. That one was was also going to be a one o'clock game that has been moved back uh 2 11 thorns versus dash saturday 11 o'clock so we have a couple brunch uh appointments this weekend at providence park uh what do you think about the game as a whole do you think this is i mean you know looking ahead in the schedule after this game the thorns have five of their last eight on the road they go immediately out uh on next week on a big road trip in which they have uh, a visit to chicago and then a midweek visit to kansas city which is sort of handy from a travel perspective, but certainly not uh, the easiest road trip in the world. The Kansas city one's certainly more, you know, accessible than the Chicago one, but the Chicago one is, is mighty important. Is this game, this, this winnable game against the dash at home uh, before that big road trip, do you think it's a must win in order for the thorns to sort of keep the pace in, in, in what is looking like it is a very tight, both playoff and shield race?
1: Um, before I answer that, I'm just going to back up a little bit on, on, the availability of, um, some of these players, uh, in addition to the players coming back from the Euros uh, as a reminder, Ali Long and Lindsay Horan will be back with the team before Saturday uh, after competing, um, in the tournament nations Thursday. Uh, they will fly directly from that. That game's on the West coast. They'll fly directly back to Portland. Um, their availability for the game is obviously going to be dependent on how much they play against Japan and how they're feeling. And, and that sounds like that's going to be the same case with Henri, uh, how she's feeling. Um, Mark said he expects Dagny to be in there because she's been back this entire week. Um, in terms of the game, I, I do think um, I think if the Thorin's goal is just to make playoffs, then maybe this is not a must-win game. I, I think they can lose this game and still sneak into playoffs. But if their goal is to compete for one of those top two spots, it, it is to really make a push at the end of the season. Uh, ensure that they're going to be in playoffs and and try to push to host a game. Yeah, I do think this is a must-win game. This is against a weak Houston team, uh, a team where the Thorns were disappointed to get a draw on the road, and it's a game that the Thorns should be able to win. And and if they do, it'll put them in a situation. I mean, right now they're only three points out of the um, NWSL Shield lead. Uh, And so at the end of this weekend, they could be in a tie for first place, depending on how other results go. Um, this is a massive game for Portland. If they lose or if, if they drop points, it will be a big missed opportunity, and it, it will put them in a position where they start to fade a little bit and they will either have to go on the road and, and pick up points um, in a difficult situation um, to, to, to try to get back in there or, or be in a position where they might end up just struggling to get that 3-4 spot um, and, and ensure that they're in playoffs and not on the outside looking in.
0: Do you think this is one where, you know, Mark Parsons calls Jill Ellis and says, hey, look, this is a friendly for you. I know it's got a fancy name, but it's a friendly. I've got an important game uh, two days later. Can you please keep them to 30 minutes? Uh, I I mean, is is that the kind of courtesy that you could see happening here? Or, you know, I mean, is it sort of still in the mindset of national team first and and league is secondary, even when it comes down to a, a silly off year money making tournament friendly?
1: Yeah, I, I just, I am I could be wrong, but I, I don't see that call happening. I, I have, we've consistently seen the U.S. Women's National Team scheduling games that disrupt the NWSL, at, at least with the Tournament Nations. They kind of scheduled it around um, the league games, but obviously they're returning the players uh, across the league on short rest. I mean, I'm sure Houston would like to call and say, hey, don't play Carly Lloyd too much. Uh, we'd really like to have her, uh, ready to go on, on Saturday against Portland. So, um, I'm not sure that there's really that courtesy. She's going to extend to one club over the other. And, and I, I mean, when you look at the players, Lindsay Horan has been in and out of the starting lineup. Allie long has played in the last 25 games for, for the U S women's national team and started 21 of those. So if I'm going to bet, I'd be betting on Allie Long starting this game. I I mean, she has probably been the player that Jill Ellis has most consistently put in the starting lineup over the last year and a half. Um, So, yeah, I I don't see that courtesy happening. Um, I I mean, I'm sure teams across the league would like Jill to be doing that. Um, But I'd expect to see both these players potentially get minutes. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see at least one of the two um, getting a decent run on Thursday.
0: That would be uh, bad news for the Thorns to be sure, especially with Henri being a little bit of a question uh, going into the game. I mean, if they are, you know, without or with a limited Henri, uh, Huran, and and Long, that you know that's that's the the backbone of this team, right? Uh, and so that would be very very bad news in a game that you know I agree with you is vitally important. I mean, you look at that last eight, you know the, the, those final eight games or so in which the Thorns are playing five on the road. You look at the Thorns recent road form, uh, and, and that is a, a daunting challenge uh, in, in, over the course of a period of time in which they're not going to have much in the way of a, uh, a, of a margin for error. And so this is a huge game, and to be without, I mean, two of the Thorns' unambiguously best players, arguably the Thorns' two best players, Uh, in Horan and Long if they for example both go you know 60 70 80 minutes on Thursday and then being asked to turn around uh, on on Saturday at 11 o'clock that would be an awfully big ask to the point where I'm doubtful uh, it would be it would be made Uh, if they're without those two players because of some frankly dumb friendly uh, that is being played for no compelling reason in an off year uh, at the very, 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 very end uh, of what is what has essentially been set up as, as an international window on a Thursday, I that is, I think there would be a, a, a lot of NWSL fans and a lot of Thorns fans who would be ju- very justifiably upset uh, with the national team program because you know I mean we've had this conversation before uh, about friendlies. Uh, it it has certainly been a constant frustration for the league. It's it's something that. Uh, that us soccer has said they want to be better about, but this would be arguably the most egregious, uh, instant, instance of it that we've seen in the last couple of years. Uh, and yeah, you know, I mean, it, it does go the same for Carly Lloyd, uh, and it goes the same for many, 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 many other players, uh, who have big games on the weekend, but it's, it, it's sort of crazy that, that the women's national team is having this game, uh, on Thursday anyway. Uh, and you know, it's, it's manifestly unfortunate and could be really unfortunate for the Thorns, in a massively important game. Uh, Okay. Let's get predictions uh, done and out of the way, and then we'll get you all off and headed into uh, a weekend of soccer. Uh, Let's start with Timbers versus Galaxy. Uh, That is, as I know, to give me Sunday at 11 o'clock. Jamie, uh, what is your call for that game?
1: Like I said earlier, I I think we've seen some positive performances from the Timbers in these last two games, and I am encouraged by the performance in Houston. So I I think they're going to come home and get the job done. I think it's going to be a 2-1 Timbers win, and and Blanco's just going to keep going. He's going to get a brace.
0: A 2-1 win with a a Blanco race. I think it's going to be a one-goal game as well. I think it's going to be a little bit higher scoring. I'm going to go 3-2 uh to the timbers over the galaxy going to be a little bit of a nail biter but the timbers are going to get there they're going to get the full three points that at this point in the season you've got to say they need uh and i'm going to say Fernando adi is going to break out of the slump uh and he's not only going to do it with uh, with one goal he's going to do it with one of his uh signature braces so three two timbers Fernando adi brace the ones v dash that is next uh, it is saturday at 11 o'clock what's going to happen
1: Um, I think I'm being a little bit optimistic that the Thorns are going to have some of their midfield intact (laughs) for this game. So we'll see how that turns out. But um, I'm going to predict that that's going to happen. And and because of that, the Thorns are going to be able to um, just demolish the Dash 4-1 win. Um, And Haley Rosso um, is going to be one of the goal scorers.
0: I'm going to go 3-1. I am also optimistic, but... I mean, I, I guess more hopeful than optimistic uh, that the Thorns will have that, mid, that midfield together. Uh, and I'm going to say they're going to win this game 3-1. Uh, and you know what? I, I feel like going out on sort of a, a random little limb or tangent, I'm going to say Emily Sonnet is going to come away with an assist in this game. So 3-1 Thorns, Sonnet assist. You call 4-1 Thorns with a Rosso goal. Uh, the fantasy update, uh, third place, Timbertown. That is Lie uh, up into third. Uh, he is sitting on 2,020 points uh, 2020 with Barbara Walters. Uh, that was a terrible joke. Uh, second place is beer city FC. That's Benjamin, uh, with 2,037 points. Uh, first place, big hearts, rest balls, still Aaron, a little bit narrower gap this, this time around 2,057 points, but still a nice comfortable 20 point lead. I had kind of a catastrophic week last week. Uh, I fell down to 30th or excuse me, 32nd, even more catastrophic than that. Uh, but you just cannot get it put together, uh, to actually play in this game. Uh, so you still have zero points, which is the last, the worst in the league. Uh, and yeah, so that's the end of the podcast. Well, we are soccer main Portland. Of course, uh, you can find once again, I should say before we move on, thank you again to Caleb Porter for coming on the show. Always great to have him on. And, and, And usually we find... We're able to find sort of an off week or something like that where they don't have anything going on. So thank you to him for coming on in the middle of a week in which he's preparing for a game as well and, and still being really forthright and candid with us. We very much appreciate that, uh, and I hope you all enjoyed, uh, enjoyed that interview. But yeah, we are Soccer Made important. and you can find us on Stumptown Footy. You can find us on OregonLive.com. You can find us uh, and subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, Thanks to everybody who sent in the questions and, of course, for tuning in. Enjoy the Thorns game and the Timbers game. Two games at Providence Park, Saturday and Sunday. We'll be back next week to talk about all of that. And until then, as always, take care.